Our scripture reading today is from Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, who was the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Good morning. Christ is risen. All right. In case you're new here, this is a WCF thing. We don't do this every Sunday, but you're welcome to. You know, I want you to take a moment to think about what life was like a long time ago. What life was like in the years BC, 2020 BC specifically life before COVID. Do you remember when wearing a mask, like you all are doing right now, wearing a mask in public was viewed as kind of dorky and reserved for germaphobes? And do you remember the days when uh, you actually got on your car or got into the metro and commuted to work every day in person? You remember taking a shower and actually wearing different clothes than what you slept with to start your day at work? <laughs> and for parents, you remember when your kids used to come home from school without snot-covered face masks? Uh, or remember going to social gatherings or church, or maybe organizing a social gathering and not having to ask people about their vaccination status or their masking preferences? Or you would actually go to a party and you might have sniffles or a light cough or a headache and you would hug people and hug and shake hands without abandon? Those were the days, right? Our lives have changed because of COVID. The way we live and interact with one another, uh, you know, has, has changed significantly since this pandemic. Clinical research funding you can see here for infectious diseases has like ramped up like crazy since COVID started. Now, some, of, some people might deny that COVID is real, or they might think that the response is unwarranted, but the reality is that COVID has changed our world. You could even say that the world has been made over since the reality of this pandemic. But there's something else that has happened that has given us a makeover of human history. 
It's, a, it's something that we celebrate today on Easter Sunday. What happened was the resurrection of Jesus after his burial and crucifixion. Oh, crucifixion and burial. It's an event that Christians and Catholics regard as more than just an inspiring story. It's a historical event believed to be more world-changing, more history-making, more reality-defining than COVID, than all the world wars, than the invention of the printing press, than the invention of electricity, and of even the internet. All of these things combined, the resurrection is that much more of a makeover. The resurrection of Jesus signals an ultimate makeover, not just of Judaism into the Christian religion, but a makeover of the entire created order. It is that significant. And it's also why it seems so unbelievable. We see in Luke's account, this, uh, uh, East, the first Easter morning. And we can see how Jesus' resurrection speaks to our doubts speaks to our sense of dignity, and speaks to even death itself, a makeover of all these things, a makeover of our doubts, our dignity, and death. You know, Luke's account of Easter morning is particularly relevant to our contemporary times. His tone is not characterized by this confident declaration intended to rouse up faith, but instead offers an inquisitive, perhaps even skeptical posture. As we begin the scene, our modern sensibilities are trying to make sense of all this. There's angels <laughs> appearing and talking to humans. But hold on to that for a moment. Because I think that if the resurrection from the dead is a reality, then so too can be angels. I'd like for us to notice all the doubts of Jesus' disciples in this scene. We're told that the women have come to the garden tomb expecting to anoint Jesus' body, but they did not find his body there. And Luke says, while they were wondering about this. The women did not welcome this news with like blind and excited faith. They were trying to process this empty tomb and this report, or even encountering these angels reporting that Jesus is now alive. And that same skepticism shows up in the apostles when the women go back to report to their findings to them when they're gathered in a room in verse 11. Luke reports that they simply do not believe the woman because the words sounded like nonsense. You ever feel like that towards some of the claims of Christianity? Seems like nonsense. In verse 12, Peter hears the reports and he has to do his own digging, look up his own sources. So he runs to the tomb for himself and sees that the tomb with his very own eyes, is empty. And he too walks away at the very, in that last verse, wondering to himself what happened. You know, perhaps you're listening today, you're here, you have your doubts and your skepticism about the Christian faith. Especially a faith that's grounded upon an ancient teacher being raised from the dead. That doesn't make any sense. But hear this, you're not alone in your doubts, in your questions. See, even Jesus' most loyal followers who witnessed him in flesh and blood could not wrap their heads around it. Yet they and many generations after them 
grounded their faith on this incredible event, and some of them even gave up their lives dying for this event. The doubt of Jesus' own followers gives us hope in our doubts. Now, we may have our doubts about the resurrection, or we may have doubts about the Christian faith because of those who claim to be Jesus' followers and how they express their faith. But you, again, are not alone in your doubts. My encouragement to you is that you can distinguish between the person of Jesus revealed in Scripture and the people who claim to follow Jesus. Because, you know, one of those people is perfect and the others are not. You know, here at WCF, I want you to know that your questions, your doubts are very welcome. We want our community to be a safe place to explore all these questions and doubts in relationship with one another. What I invite you to do is to look not just at what Jesus, uh, to look at what Jesus' own followers do here. Each of them had to ponder the evidence about Jesus. The evidence that confronted them and they had to consider a different way of looking at Jesus. Someone that they thought they knew and understood. And it took repeated interactions with Jesus over the next few days and the coming weeks with the resurrected Jesus for them to come to accept this new reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do. With all that they knew about the Jewish faith and about what they expected the Messiah to do and about the teacher of theirs, what they had witnessed him doing, they saw that he was tried unjustly, crucified, and buried. But this gives us hope. The resurrection of Jesus is an invitation for each one of us to encounter Jesus in all of our doubts. Our doubts about God, about who Jesus is, and about what Jesus has come to do. This text shows us that it's okay. Jesus not only comes to make over our doubts, but in the scene, we, in this resurrection, we also see how he makes over our sense of dignity. And Luke's account of the resurrection provides the most detail of all the accounts of who was present that morning. In verse 1, he simply refers to the women. But then he goes on to name them, those who encountered Jesus, uh, the, the angels at, at that garden tomb. He names Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them. Now, we may gloss over it, but because it seems rather normal to us to see people's names listed, but this specific naming of women, and that many of them, at least five of them, was out of the ordinary in, that, in ancient times. Now, when we read the newspaper or see something online, none of us looks at the gender of the reporter to determine if it's credible, right? Or raise your hand if you do. <laughs> but that wasn't the case in ancient times. If the early church really wanted a story to be believed and passed on, they never would have told a story where the women were the first witnesses of the event. That would undercut the believability of the story immediately if they wanted it to be shared and heard. The apostles' own doubt in this text when they hear the woman's uh, report, reveals how the testimony of women was typically responded to in a patriarchal society. In a court of law back then, a woman's testimony was not considered admissible evidence. And think of it. The participation of women in the voting, 
as valid witnesses in the legal system, to be able to attend college, to be able to work in professions. That's only been in place in America here for just over 100 years. It's unthinkable 2,000 years ago. There's no good reason for the gospel accounts to report that women were the first to know about Jesus' res resurrection if they wanted the story to be believed. The fact that it was included so outrightly actually makes the story more believable. And this says much about the God of Scripture. God entrusts these eyewitnesses account of, eyewitness accounts of the resurrected Jesus to these women. It speaks to the dignity of women and their value. In a time when their voice was not valued in the same way as men, God is saying something about the role of women and men. If you think about it, the living God of Scripture was far more progressive than before the term progressive was ever coined or used. The dignity of woman isn't just a one-time occurrence in Scripture. Unlike many first-century writings, the Gospels make reference to more women. That was typical of ancient writing. And unlike many writings of the time, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a single sentence where Jesus belittles or disgraces or stereotypes women in his interactions with them compared to others at that time. Women were valued and honored. And Luke specifically names in chapter 8, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna as people who financially supported Jesus in his ministry. And he names two of those same people here in this resurrection scene. And though some of us might have troubles with the Apostle Paul's references to gender roles in the family and the church, Paul also demonstrated a very anachronous honoring and dependence on women in his own life and in the early church. And though it took human society another 2,000 years to give women equal, rightful participation in society, and even then, it's not quite there yet, right? It's, it's still a fight here, even in America. The foundation was laid in the early life of the church, and it's highlighted especially here at the resurrection of Jesus. You would be hard-pressed to find any major or even a minor world religion birthed in ancient culture that is still practiced today that affirms the dignity of women and men in the way that Jesus did. Has it been perfect? No. Have humans interpreted and applied it selfishly and wrongly? Probably. But in the resurrection, we see how Jesus is already remaking how we are to view both women and men in light of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection makes over our doubts and makes over our sense of dignity, and Jesus' resurrection also makes over our understanding of death. The idea of death seems rather simple at a glance, right? For us normal people, breathing, heart beating, yeah, you're alive. Heart beating, not, not heart beating, heart not beating, not breathing, you're dead. This is how most medical professionals determine time of death or when someone died up until about 1968. But as ventilators and defibrillators began being used, medical staff found it very unclear when do you determine when a person actually is dead. So a committee was convened in 1968 to determine something called the Harvard Criteria, which introduced the idea of brain, dead, uh, brain death that now most hospitals rely on to determine time of death. But even with this makeover in determining death, 
we find that the way to determine death is inconsistently applied across 50 states in America. For instance, in North Carolina, they don't have a provision to determine death by heart and lung function. In states like Louisiana and Texas, they avoid using the death brain death clause in hospitals. And then you have Massachusetts and Minnesota, Georgia and Minnesota and Maryland who simply define death as uh, in vague statements like generally medical, uh, accepted medical standards. What's the point of all this? If medical professionals can't agree on when death actually happens, how can we be so sure of what happens after death? Or what doesn't happen after death? See, if the resurrection of Jesus is indeed true, it opens up a completely new possibility of life beyond death. And that upsets not only our modern sensibilities, but the sensibilities and the expectations of first century Jews, like Jesus' own disciples. What, does, uh, they, what do they say in verse 5 and 6 as David read for us? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. On Easter, we celebrate the resurrection with that statement, as we've done this morning. Christ is risen. But let me, I want to offer this. That statement doesn't capture the depth expressed in the original Greek. Christ is risen is a declaration of present state of being, which of course is true. Jesus is risen. He is alive. But the Greek usage of the word, verb to rise is better translated, he has been raised. The verb tense is used to indicate a past action whose effects continually remain uh, even into the present. And the passive sense, he has been, he has been raised, indicates that someone other than the subject of the sentence is the cause of the action. The, te the tense used here in the ancient Greek describes something, is often used in scripture to describe something that only God, the living God, can do. This is not just a resuscitation where he happened to come back to life. It is a resurrection initiated and acted upon by the living God. And those, that deliberate action of God happening in the past continues to reverberate into the present and into the future. And as we find out in the following, days following, it's a resurrection that changes and remakes the quality and nature of life itself. You know, while many Jews in Jesus' time believed in a bodily resurrection after death, they did not expect that one person would re be resurrected ahead of the others. They expected the Messiah to come, and all of God's people would be resurrected all at once. But as Jesus' own disciples discovered, all their expectations about death and what happened after death were remade in light of Jesus' resurrection. And we go on to find out that the early church, the news begins to spread. Their expectations of what it means to be God's people also changes. And their understanding of what God's blessings upon God's people changes. They were all remade in light of the resurrection. No longer was God's blessing limited to a particular ethnic group who followed God's uh, who sought God's presence mediated in a physical temple located in Israel-Palestine. No longer were God's blessings and promises to God's people 
on one particular people group, but they were being fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. As one commentator said, the resurrection wasn't invented by the church. The church was invented by the resurrection. You hear that? The church did not invent the resurrection. The church, uh, the resurrection invented the church. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It remakes what death means. It remakes what life after death means. It, in fact, it remakes what life before death means. Is this a fantastic claim that someone resurrected from the dead, that God, this God-man resurrected from the dead? Yes, it is fantastic. But is it fantastic because it's not true? Or is it fantastic because our categories of what is possible are too limited? Jesus' own disciples, people who watched him eat, watched him sleep, watched him teach and perform miracles, even they had to experience a makeover of what they believed in light of a resurrected Jesus. So what about you today? Whether you're exploring who this Jesus person is, or maybe you've followed Jesus for your entire life, on this Easter Sunday, would you confront this wondrous, fantastic reality of a risen Jesus? Consider its impact on your life and the way you see the world and what is possible in this world. Think of it. You don't have to Google very far into the crevices of the internet to find people who believe in near-death experience or that they can talk to their dead family members or dead pets. People believe in, uh, who believe in reincarnation seem to be aware, some of them might be aware of what animal or person that they were in past lives. Now, these ideas certainly can be possible, but none of them offer the same credibility as the resurrection of Jesus. The angels remind the women as they arrive at the empty tomb, saying, remember, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Remember when he told you. You know, Jesus' resurrection changes everything because if it is true, it is proof that God is faithful to do what God says will be done. The resurrection gives true hope. It is grounded in God keeping his promises. The resurrection of Jesus is one of God's greatest promises. So there's incredible hope for our world. And isn't that something that we really need more of nowadays? If God was faithful to resurrect Jesus, then we can have hope that God will remake and renew a world where brokenness and injustice and burdens and conflict seem so insurmountable. If God is faithful to God's promises, then Jesus' followers enjoy an incredible privilege a privilege of preparing the world for a life to come and living in light of that is one of the most basic tasks we have as followers of Christ. If we embrace the resurrection of Jesus, if it's really true, we are living in a remade world that's already happening. 
and our allegiance will be to this citizenship and this belonging that flows far into the future. Or maybe another way of looking at it is that belonging flows far from the future and into the present. So we can honestly name all those injustices, all those oppressions, all those exclusions that we see in this world. We don't have to bury it or ignore it, and we don't have to be overwhelmed by it. But we can also work for healing, we can work for restoration, and we can do all those things with energy and fervor and not be frustrated when we see, don't see things happening on our timeline because we know there's another timeline that's being followed. The reality is, the real, there, there's going to be new things, new issues for us to be burdened by just as we think that we've got a grip on the present ones. Earlier, I asked, think of life BC, before COVID. Just think of life since COVID started. There's the pandemic, then there's racial justice issues, there's overturning democracy, there's LGBTQ rights, there's displacement of people, groups in Israel, Palestine, now in Ukraine, in Yemen, in Ethiopia, and there's still displacement of people here in America. Despite the endless litany of problems in our world, the resurrection offers us true hope. One day, justice will be done in all of creation. And Paul describes, writing to the Roman church in Romans chapter 8, says, all creation is groaning and longing for redemption. It's redemption alongside the redemption of God's children. What God's children experience in the resurrection is going to penetrate the world. Resurrection changes everything. It comforts us in our doubts. It reminds us of our dignity as God's image bearers. And it changes how we view life and death. The resurrection is the ultimate makeover for all of human history and for all of creation. And on this Easter Sunday, may you, like the disciples on that first Easter morning, walk away with wonder. Wonder that's not informed by doubt, but wonder informed by hope and gratitude and bold energy to engage in this world together with the risen Jesus. Because Jesus is alive and he continues his work in the world. And he's inviting you and I 